Welcome back to the Bond Revisited podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 12, where we revisit and rank for your eyes only. After escaping from Eric, Bond decides to meet up again with BB, where he finds some particularly aggressive ice hockey players waiting for him. Join us as we take a look and eventually add for your eyes only to our rankings. But we cut to Bond at night driving the Red Lotus with Luigi and they put up to this skate rig, but like an indoor skate rig this time. And Luigi's in the car and Bond says, hey, wait in the car because uh, he's here to see BB. Uh, so BB is practicing there with the teacher and he's all he's asking because BB knew Eric knew that German but he like he was ignoring her for some reason. Yeah. Um, but so Bond's like, okay, well she knew she knows who this guy is, so I'll go ask her about it. And says like, hey, who who was this guy? And she said, oh, all I know is a defector from East Germany. Of which the teacher is like, nope, stop, stop, stop. Uh, you're not allowed to say anything more. And she then gets a a kiss and says, oh, I could eat you up alive. Is that right? Mm, that's weird. right. Um, yeah <laughs> but she leaves and as she and the teacher are leaving we see a group of guys in full ice hockey gear just setting up and having a little bit of a game and knocking the puck towards each other and as bond is walking up because bond is just walking on the ice he doesn't actually get any ice skates where bb was on ice skates because she he just wants to talk to her so as bond goes to leave these guys then suddenly start the lights go off and starts barging into bond and knock him down a few times and they knock him up against this wall and one of them tries to stab him with his ice skate by kicking him, but Bond gets out of the way just in time. And then we get... Bond gets one of the hockey sticks off them and knocks one down. He goes into the goal and then the goal scorer goes up by one and the sound, like 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 the, the goal scoring sound goes off. Yeah. So he then spins another one because there's three of them. He spins the next one into the net uh, so another goal and the sound goes off and then he jumps into like this ice truck nearby, the ones where they drive to like, I guess, uh, I'm not exactly sure what they do, but to like level the ice, I think, um, smooth it out mm. and knocks him in using that. And then the goal sounds go crazy as if he's won the game. And I really hated this bit. I just don't get it like at all. Like, I guess, it, you know, it's a comedy bit. But it, it's not funny. <laughs> it's, just, it's not funny. It just and didn't make me it's, laugh. It's so kind of pathetically short. It's just, I mean, there, the reason there is a reason for, it, I guess, what comes next. But it, it's really, they, it's unnecessary. They could have done this, the reveal coming up a different way. Because you're right, it, it's it's not funny. Um, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Who's keeping track of this? And. <laughs> <laughs> there's just an old man in the back oh well done oh. um <laughs> and it's 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 like they they're letting slip the the mask of oh back down to earth gritty realistic it, every now and then the mask slips and it's like well this would be fun this would be a bit of a laugh and then you get scenes like this yeah it's a bit frustrating because as you said there's a real effort to make it more grounded but there's also a real effort to keep it funny and comedy focused and it means we just kind of get a little bit like this, which is trying to be both. Because to be fair, there's no gadgets. There's nothing crazy going on. It's just three guys who are goons who are just attacking you with hockey sticks. 
So I think they did see it as probably a more grounded situation. It's just rather than let it be its own thing, they're like, well, we're adding some comedy with the goals and Bond knocking them all out into this goal. But it's just, I mean, it's, it's so short, it's not that big of a deal. It's just like, ugh. Yeah, it's 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 the thing in terms of pacing as well, where we've just had this really, you know, intense action scene anyway. So I know that Bond films are meant to be, you know, nonstop action, but it would have been fine to have a little bit of a breather here. You you don't need to have this little thing straight afterwards. It's just that's so unnecessary. No, but this ends with Bond leaving after taking care of these goons. And he goes back to the car and he finds Luigi in there, but his throat has been cut uh, and he's dead. Uh, as Bond looks over Luigi, he checks his hand and sees a pin of a dove. So it seems like the dove or Columbo has killed this man. And, well, that's it, really. Luigi's now dead. So um, Bond is going to leave Italy. So hope everyone enjoyed Luigi. <laughs> He is my favourite character so far. I love him. Mainly because of his glasses. Did he have glasses? I think he had like orange glasses. Oh, right, okay. I don't know why, that's all I really remember is the glasses. (laughs) Probably misses his glasses. Probably misses his old glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Um, God. Do you know what, as as we're doing this, I'm just realising so... it's one that it's quite telling, I think, that the films I enjoy most, I clearly don't pay much attention to. <laughs> oh no! In the nicest way possible, I'm just letting it. I'm just, you know, there enjoying it because I can't, I have no clue how it then moves into, uh, Greek back, like back to Corfu. I'm a, I think it's just because of Melina. It must be. Oh, he just goes back to see her. I I would think so, because he meets her straight away, and then they go shopping, and it's all very nice. Oh, they do have that lovely scene, don't they? Yeah, so I think it's specifically for her. Um, But it's kind of odd, because the whole thing about, like, her father just kind of comes in and out as it pleases as a plot point. So sometimes Bond is there talking to her about her father and sometimes he's not. It just kind of fades in and out as we go. Because he's a very important man, as we find out, which is really inconsistent when it actually becomes like a thing that matters. Right. Yeah, you're right, because they, they start off with, I guess, I missed, I can't remember the actual opening scene, but eventually she says, let's go shopping together uh, with to Bond. And so you do get this little montage of them going through the markets and the streets and they... They go and eat this fruit and Bond gives her a little handkerchief and it's it's all quite pleasant, really. It's nothing much. It's um, kind of reminded me a bit of the montage in, again, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, although they're not falling in love to get married this time. But yeah, just just a little a little slice of life, I suppose, isn't it? A little slice of life of what, what Melina does and all the people she knows and everyone you know, recognises her, buying her fruit and everything. Um, I, I do think this sort of stuff is important, though. I mean, it is it is a small detail, but... They don't, it really does help a, a lot with the whole relationship between Bond and the Bond girl. I'm not saying that this film has a perfect one, but it, all this stuff does help. It does help. It's just odd that we go to... Like, Northern Italy is one of the big settings in this film. And then we cut to somewhere... You know, we cut to Greece, Corfu. And then we have this scene. It feels very odd. 
seems very odd to transition to a brand new location and then have Bond and the Bond girl kind of like hanging out and enjoying each other's company. Like maybe they could have been a bit like Bond is goes to Carfu for other reasons that we find out. I just find that a little bit backwards almost that Bond goes somewhere and then they kind of get all chummy like that. That doesn't feel right to me. So do you think it should have come later on or earlier on? I guess so. I, I don't really know. Uh, but you're right. It makes sense in terms of it's her in her environment and how she's living her life. Although the fact that she comes across as just a bit of a rich kid doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> like she comes across as a little bit rich kid. Uh, like she starts off going onto this very fancy boat with her rich parents. And she says she's in between jobs, but she's just going shopping all the time. Makes me a bit un- I think she's a bit unlikable because of that. Like, she's just a rich kid. Like, get a job. What are you doing? (laughs) Stop messing around with that crossbow. Spending your dead parents' money. Come on. Uh, So, I didn't like it. I can just picture you just, uh, like, in front of the TV, just getting so annoyed. Like, get a job, you bum. Yeah, hippie. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, as you say, yeah, they they do touch on her father again because they're there uh, on this kind of section of a cliff overlooking the sea and she's explaining how this is where they used to come and her father used to love this view um is the boat in view the triana i guess it's down there maybe um and bond just kind of says you know don't don't try and think about that you know uh trying trying to be kind i suppose um and that he has a contact to go see at the casino um in corfu and as I was watching, I was like, who? What? What's going on? Did I miss Again, I was like, did I miss something there? Um, but then it is, it does, it does make sense who it is. Because I think actually, when we do see, when we saw Chris Atos in, um, in Italy, uh, in, in, in the ski thing, he did say that he was going back to Corfu. So I guess that all adds up. Yeah, it's all, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I do think they've I do think they've done the same thing as they've done in other films where they just skip that bit and then you have to add it up later. I can't remember exact scenarios, but we've definitely talked about this a lot. Where it's like, yeah, Bond's going here. It's like, wait, what? It's like, oh no, to do this. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, you you're right. It's I should be used to this by now. Uh, so it does then cut to Bond at the casino. He's at a table. He's playing some of that game with the bonk. <laughs> Give me some cards. <laughs> See what Give happens. Ca- the one that he always seems to win. I want to say Shemin Defer because I remember looking it up before. Uh, he's playing against an interesting looking man. A sweaty man, I wrote down. <laughs> playing against sweaty man um, who's, who's waging a lot of money and being egged on by this, this lady behind him, this fancy looking lady. Uh, a countess apparently is there and um you know, basically making him yeah making him spend all his money and, and bond's there and obviously when bond is in the game of shaman defer he's always going to win and he does uh and you know this this sweaty looking man who is um perspiring a lot as she says uh that just looks sad chrysatos is there comes up behind bond and kind of I feel like you always need that character when there's a card game going on in, bo- in a Bond film. You always need the character to explain, oh, that's, you know, kind of just telling the audience, oh, that's a that's a move that's going to, that's a risky move, or, oh, he needs this to win. I remember that a lot in, um, that's what Felix does a lot in Casino Royale, and that's kind of a little bit of what Chris Atos does here, because he says something about, 
the odds and Bond says, I can't remember the line Bond says, maybe, have you still got the script? Well, he says it again, doesn't he? Like, yeah. Yeah, he, he, because Christian says, oh, the smart thing to do is to do this. And Bond says, yes, if you're playing the odds. Of which he he's not playing the odds, he's just playing aggressive. But it works out for him anyway, because he's James Bond. And of course it does. <laughs> and Bond always wins. And are you going to... Do you not remember the man's name? A little bit what, of re- Sweaty Man? Yeah. I just called him Sweaty Man in my no, notes. Oh, the disrespect. <laughs> The disrespect to poor Bunky. (laughs) His name was Bunky? Yeah, because she's all like... Because initially he puts in half a million, which is half of what he has. Then the character's like, come on, Bunky, you can do better than that. And poor Bunky has to put in more money. Then as soon as he leaves, it's like, oh, Bunky. And the woman just leaves him. I felt so bad for Bunky. Poor Bunky. I, I, I do wonder if that was like a fame, a, a well-known actor of the time. Because it feels like, why did they put so much emphasis on Bunky? But yeah, normally when it comes to these, Bond is going up against someone who's very kind of cocky or very full of himself or just like evil, you know? Like somebody's like, mm, I'm so good at this game. And Bond's like, well, we'll see about that. But this is just some poor dude, just Bunky, who just looks really <laughs> sad. And Bond just beats him, and then we don't see him again. It's like, oh, I feel really Bunky bad dies. for Bunky. <laughs> <laughs> and then it comes up, Bunky died on the way to his home planet. <laughs> and, and then in the next film, Bond starts a film by visiting Bunky's grave. <laughs> Putting red flowers on him. <laughs> oh, I, well, I, right, I'm going to have to look up Bunky after, after this. I want to find so. out more. I, I feel like who, who this him. is probably... Not to do more Simpsons reference, but Bunky is the Frank Grimes of the Bond <laughs> Bunky failed so Bond could succeed. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, there is there is a bit of a reason as to why, you know, to, to let you see what's going on with this woman who is is uh, egging people on and, and encouraging them to, to bet more. But yeah, at the moment, it's just you just see this poor guy lose a lot of money and then that's it. And Bond walks off and, you know, asks to get his chips cashed and... and uh, Goes off for dinner with with Christatos. It's very similar to a plenty old tool back in Diamonds Are Forever. Only this time, rather than it just being a rich dude, it's Bunky. <laughs> of course. Was it? Is his name really Bunky? Bunky. One other thing I was going to mention as well. It's Bunky. Is it's Bunky? No. Um, we've been saying a lot of things as a reference to on a Measure Secret Service. Another one I noticed in this scene, and I don't know whether it's it was on purpose or whether it's just you know casinos look like this a lot and it was just so happens to be but when they revealed the countess it was kind of it reminded me similar to how they reveal tracy who's also a countess behind the lampshade almost or like the the light fixture that's above the the table yeah i didn't think about that but you're completely right yeah very similar it was just a very similar shot so i don't know maybe maybe that was there for a reason or Maybe it was just a, they, it was in the way. <laughs> Can we move this light out of the way? <laughs> Apparently people can't agree on how you spell bunky if it's I-E or Y, but that's, <laughs> that's another Oh, really? <laughs> we need answers, people. This is the serious stuff. Justice for bunky. Justice for bunky. Um, but yeah, Bond does go to have dinner with Kratatos um, outside. Uh, they have a little bit of pleasantries about their, their dinner and what they're going to order and... 
uh, Chris is saying, oh, have this wine from my region. And I love how Bond just shoots him down. Like, no, it's a bit too perfumed for my taste. Uh, I'll go with this one instead. Uh, I think that's well. a little bit of foreshadowing as well. Maybe yeah. not, but I feel like the fact that Bond declined somebody's drink offer like that, it probably was meant to just be Bond being like, oh, I'll order my own drinks. But I feel like that's kind of putting in the hints of what's coming. Maybe I'm yeah. reading into it too much, but it feels like that. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, and yeah, they eventually they, they're eating dinner and obviously they're there to talk about um, Colombo who, as you said, Chris Atos used to be a partner with and they used to know him quite well and friends with. Uh, and he points out that he's literally on the other table. <laughs> uh, he's he's over the table across from them and there's this man over there, this nice moustache man with um, with the Countess lady uh, together on that table. And um, Chris Atos is just saying a little bit about... I think there's a little bit more... Uh, kind of history between the two of them. But there's also a section where um, he tries to guess what Bond is doing here. And it's quite, you, when you find out who this character actually is, it is quite clever. Like he's trying to, he's trying to act dumb. And he's, he says something along the lines of, oh, um, well, I can't remember how they mentioned heroin, but something to do with heroin. And uh, do you work for sort of like the the anti-narcotics um and and Bond obviously is like, well, I'll never tell, sort of thing, but kind of giving Bond a false sense of security and and playing up to him. And I, I do, I do like that because it's uh, yeah, you know, he he clearly he's playing all the chess pieces right now, Krasatos, um, and doing it quite well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just not a big fan of this character, really. I think he's fine. I like the idea, but I just none none of these scenes with him really do anything for me, especially for how this all kind of goes. In terms of like, I I think this is another from Russia with Love thing, where from Russia with Love didn't really have core villains. It just had people kind of doing different things and having different elements. Like it was a little bit more confused. So you could point to uh, number three. I think she was maybe number five as being the villain, but it's it's a lot more confused. I feel like this film goes for the same thing and I'm kind of just not really up for that anymore. Like it's it's not a bad idea. And after the villains from the last few films, maybe it was time to reset and make that a bit more murky. But I just think maybe some of the From Russia with Love stuff they bring into this film probably wasn't the way to go. He's not... Chris Atos is not, definitely not the strongest villain, but to me... And this just links back to the the wider picture of them doing a bit of a whiplash from Moonraker and and realizing they need to come down from that. Is that at least it's not another? I mean, here's the villain, <laughs> you know. We're just gonna say it. Uh, here's the villain. Uh, we'd, at least we're not getting another villain that is you know megalomaniacal, wanting to world the end thing. Um, I, I think it kind of plays into what you're saying earlier, where this might be just because we're watching them in order and those villains are fresh in my mind and I am a little bit tired of that. So this is someone different and I like that. He's, he's just a guy, right? He's just, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. There wasn't anything wrong with the other ones physically. There's no weird, you know, uh, visual um, scar or anything like that. But he is just a guy who wants to get money, right? And he wants to deal with the Russians. And 
maybe if I had just jumped in on this randomly, I would think, oh, this guy's a little bit, a little bit plain, a little bit, a little bit of a dweeb. But right now, um, I, I'll happily take this. Like this is, this is. I'm all about this right now. That's completely fair. Like, yeah, I think not doing another one of those. I'm going to flood the world or nuke the world and go to space. Definitely was smart. And I do yeah. like what they're doing here with the Cold War stuff, where they're trying to tie it more into the Cold War and having all this. It's just, I just don't think they do it that well. I mean, luckily we're going to get introduced to Colombo soon, who's an absolute joy. Um, oh yeah, which definitely helps. But I feel like what kind of helps from Russia with Love is that we're dealing with a lot of big characters, but they're all tied into Spectre, and we know something bigger is happening. So it's kind of like, if you took that from Russia with Love, and if you took those same um, characters who are the villains in that film and removed Blofeld and the Spectre angle, they would just be terrible. <laughs> like, just so weak and uninteresting. And I kind of feel like that's happened here a little bit, where you're trying to make them stand alone, but without this kind of bigger picture that they're tying to, uh, it, it makes them feel not quite as interesting. But I, I still like the the idea, uh, and I can appreciate them going for this angle. I just think that it's just... It just didn't work for me. Uh, it's another one with this film where it's like something where it's like, I don't hate it, but it just didn't work for me. Uh, it falls mm. a bit flat. Mm. Okay. Um, eventually, someone comes and switches the... Some waiter comes and switches the lamp like the little candle lamp in the middle of Bond and Christatos' table. Uh, and it, you find out that it was actually a, a recording device and Columbo is there listening back to it and hearing. Um, I can't remember the line Bond says, but it's something along the lines of, you know, he's going he's gonna to find him and do what he needs to do or is he going to kill him or some sort of threat like that. It's, he says it better in the film. I can't actually remember the wording of it. Um, so yeah, Columbo knows, he goes back. And you get this little spat between Colombo and the Countess on the table and they suddenly have a bit of an argument and uh, she throws a drink over him and, and storms off. And as she storms off, she sort of gives Bond the eye, um, gives him a look as, as she walks past him. And Bond takes that as the opportunity to leave the dinner and, and go investigate this lady who obviously knows Colombo and see how she can, he can use her to get closer and, and find out more. I I had it that the woman gives him her card, but now that I'm not sure that happens. I, she I, was, yeah, she is holding something, isn't she? Yeah, I, I thought she, because she comes over to the table, I thought she just quickly gives him the card, but I wasn't paying that much attention, so maybe that's not what happened. But to me, I assumed it was a card, because otherwise her just looking at Bond, surely that can't be enough for Bond to be like, aha, away. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. I guess weirder things have happened. May, yeah, it, as you, uh, that she definitely is holding something. So maybe uh, I guess I would I would have just expected like a really obvious insert shot of the paper saying "Meet me" or something. But maybe it uh, doesn't need to be that on the nose. So yeah, I'm checking the script. <laughs> <laughs> We're on it live. <laughs> oh my god, this is a long script. <laughs> oh, there's 122 pages of the script. I'm getting rid of it. I'm actually getting rid of it. Oh, I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Bond then meets up with her, uh, the Countess. Hold on, let me get this right. Yeah, uh, meets up and says, "Ah, oh, I can drive you home. 
of which she she says yes and we then cut to the bond and the the countess in the back of a car where bond says well i'm a writer and i'm writing about uh, greek smuggling he introduces himself as bond he doesn't change that name he's like my name is bond i'm a writer so all right bond okay good one uh so he's like do you know anything about colombo and greek smuggling and uh, he'll be i'll be grateful if you told me the driver looks a little bit shifty here but i don't think that actually goes anywhere unless this is a goon that shows up later well it's it's christatos's car so i'm guessing that's how they then know where they are to come back and attack them later on ah okay right okay that's quite subtle then actually it's quite good yeah they, I, I can't I, I did miss that but there is a line where where bond says, or christatos says oh you can use my car as as bond leaves yeah okay that that makes a bit more sense so they arrive at this small building this small kind of house by the beach of which she invites Bond in for champagne and oysters. And apparently we've found out during this rewatch that oysters mean sexy time. <laughs> sexy oysters. Uh, well, it's an aphrodisiac. Uh, uh, yeah, apparently. Apparently that's enough. Apparently yeah. it works instantly. Just have some oysters. 100%. 100%. Yeah. If I want to sleep with someone, I want them stinking of oysters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Bond then sends the driver. We're saying, oh, I don't think I'll be needing you tonight. Uh, and then nudge, we cut... nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. Say no more, say no more. <laughs> uh, and then we cut to the beach and we see a little bit of that and some sexy horns start playing. Oh, yeah. Uh, some sexy horns kick in and we get a very lovely shot of inside this house of Bond in a big thick robe, which is like striped red and black, lying on the floor, kind of surrounded by all these pillows. Oh. Uh, you want to talk about sexy time? Let me tell you. <laughs> well... On on robe talk, mm-hmm. right? Am I when I saw that? Am I right in thinking that's very similar to the robe in Live and Let Die? Oh, I don't think so. Is it not? I, I swear I've seen Bond in a red and black robe before. Maybe Which I'm just making in that Live up. And Let Die. Um, it's not the not the monogrammed one. No, definitely at the not. beginning. But is it when he's? Is it the second robe when with the with the when he has the bath? Snake? When he has the bath. I don't think Maybe. so. Damn. This, this okay. one seemed more distinct to me than that one. Okay, never mind. A man can dream. It, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just like the idea of consistency in the robes, that's all. Even though he's in a completely different area. <laughs> yeah, that he brought it with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's lying all sexy on the floor. And the woman comes over with champagne and Bond kind of says, hmm... You're not who you're se- who you seem. Are you from Manchester? Or which she says, actually, I'm from Liverpool. Uh, so it turns out that she's running a con here. She's not actually a countess. She just goes to these places and casinos and uh, dresses up to con men out of their money. Uh, I don't know if they even go into that much detail, but yeah, she's just there to kind of hang on to the arm of rich men's. And she reveals that Colombo told her that Bond was a spy and that you needed to go and find out more about him of which she's kind of abandoning, really. And they kiss and spill the champagne. And then we cut to morning. And we see them walking down the beach together. And they seem to be quite chummy, to be honest. Like They seem to be getting on quite well. Uh, yeah, for one day of knowing each other. Yeah, considering how she's a con woman. I don't know how she's just instantly kind of fallen for James like this. Mm. Uh, but she was like, oh, do you want my car or which I, I'm not sure if Bond says yes or not. Um, but we see these, like, 
it's buggies a fair enough word for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we see Locke is nearby on a buggy, and we see another buggy as well. So they're all on this beach, so these buggies are driving over the sand, and Bond and the Countess see them, so start running away. They start to climb over a hill to try and get away, but another buggy then shows up. Uh, Bond shoots the tyre out of one of these buggies, but gets separated from the Countess. So she's now running separately on the beach, and Locke gives chase to her specifically. Uh, Bond shoots, but misses, and she just gets run over. (laughs) It's brutal. Yeah, like she just gets (laughs) properly hit by this buggy and falls to the ground. It's it's like the most clear shot we've seen of someone get run over. Um, it's just straight there in the camera. It kind of caught me off guard. I was not expecting it because usually they might do this a bit more. You you don't you know left a bit more to the imagination sort of thing, or they do it quite tamely. But no, this she just gets straight up run over very very vividly. Yeah, I mean, I wish it wasn't like a buggy on a beach. Like if this was a proper car, I think I would have felt it a bit more. But there is a little bit of a silly element here that it's Locke, this creepy man with glasses, hitting someone with a buggy on a beach. Well, I guess it has good traction. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the, if I wanted to run someone over on a beach, that's what I would pick. He's a smart man, that Locke. Yeah, he's got the glasses. <laughs> uh, so Bond kind of gets knocked down a bit and is kind of about to be captured. And we see the man who's trying to capture Bond is shot by an arrow. And this causes Locke to drive away. Uh, Bond runs over to the counters and checks on her, but she's already dead. And we then see that the people who are saving Bond, who I think came from like the ocean, Mm. um, we quickly see that they have the dove symbol on them. So they're from Colombo. And as Bond realizes, he gets knocked out. And there's something I need to get off my chest. Uh, You might have already guessed this. I really don't like Locke as a presence in this film. Yeah. Like, he does have a presence, to be fair. Like, he does stand out. For someone who doesn't say anything and just kind of watches, he does have a real presence. But there is something about him. They made him a bit too punchable. (laughs) He has such (laughs) a punchable face. And I think they've gone too far with it. And I just don't think he really adds too much. I don't really find him intimidating or all that interesting. He's just this kind of unsettling guy that's always around, but not in a way that kind of works for me. I don't know if this is, again, another from Russia with Love thing, where he's supposed to be like, uh, oh, what's his name? The Spectre Agent. Oh, I should know this. The Spectre Agent? Yeah. Grant? Yeah, Grant. I I don't know if they're trying to go for a little bit more of an active Grant here from from Russia with Love, uh, because this film does seem to be a mash between that film and from On a Majesty's Secret Service but I just don't like looking at him. And then it just kind of cuts to him a lot, just looking over stuff. And I I think he's meant to be creepy and unsettling. And if that was the idea, they, they did it. But to me, it's kind of a little bit too more creepy and just kind of annoying. Uh, and I just don't... It just... I didn't like him when I uh, when it all came to it. You're, you're definitely right in, in the whole unsettling. There's no... He's not menacing because he just doesn't look menacing. He's got the little octagonal glasses and the, the, the awful haircut. Um, it's just, he looks sad. Uh, but yeah, the fact you do see him so much, always peering in the background, does add to that unsettling feeling. And I do think that 
you do see him enough. I've often complained about how, well, oftentimes with the villain, really, like the main villain, that you don't really see him enough to have a, to warrant a, a good payoff at the end when Bond inevitably defeats them. Uh, but I feel like you do see this guy enough in that how he eventually ends up dying, which we haven't got to yet, but that it, it, it works. It actually feels like, oh, okay, we've seen him all the way through this and he's been you know, killing people left, right and centre and well, yeah, trying to kill people anyway. And yeah, I, I do like him, um, but he definitely isn't... He, he doesn't work in the sense of other henchmen. I guess that's why you have the Eric guy, yeah. Yeah, I can see how someone would like him and I completely agree. Like when he does meet his end, there is a more satisfying feeling to that because he has been a presence and a real kind of really in this film and you've seen him a lot. I just don't think I really like him just standing on the sidelines the way he does. Like, yeah, he does stuff as he just kind of killed that woman just then. But I I don't, I just don't like that approach. Um, So I kind of appreciate that this guy isn't this big wacky character, but I just don't like his face, Joe. (laughs) That's fine. I don't want to see his face. Listen, there's some people that I just see them and I immediately don't like them and they have done nothing to me and it's just how they look. You want to say some names? Uh, There's some people in my office that are like that, but I'm not going to name any names. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably fair. Yeah. Um, A couple fun facts, though. Oh. Well, well, the first one isn't that fun, but um, this is where Charles Dance appears again. He's the one who gets shot with a crossbow. Ah, I see. And second fun fact... Um, Countessa or Contessa, uh, Lizzle, or whatever her real name is, that when she says it, uh, is Pierce Brosnan's wife at the time. Oh, that's yeah, lovely. she was married to Pierce Brosnan, and uh, I think um, again, this was in that behind the scenes video I was watching. Pierce Brosnan came to the set when she was doing this, and that's how the Cubby Broccoli and that saw him and started to get the idea about he could be Bond. Like, how so, old would have Pierce Brosnan been then, though? In nineteen eighty, I guess this would have been shot. They must, yeah. I did think that because she, she's, she's not old, but she's, you know, she's definitely not in her twenties or thirties. So, yeah, there must have been quite a discrepancy in the age there. I'm going to check what year he was born. I'm quite interested. So he was born in 1953. So he would have been what 27? 27. Wow, oh, yeah. 27. Okay. She must be at least what 40. I'd think so. Yeah, not yeah. not super old, but. Late thirties, at least. Anyway, no judgment here. I just thought it was interesting that there's a little connection to a later James Bond here. That's all. Yeah, that is as yeah. The, the fact that he was 27 on the set of Bond films, it's it's like how Timothy Dalton was considered before this point, right? Like he was already a name that was being floated out there. They really do like get these people involved early on, who eventually do become like, like Roger Moore, right? He was already being discussed before. Like it's it's interesting how early on these actors kind of get involved and tied to it, and then eventually become Bond like ten years later. Yeah, something always gets in the way. It's very strange that. Yeah, but they makes stick me, to it. They stick yeah. to that person and come back. Makes me wonder if there's there's someone like like that that's happened to now, and it's they're finally going to get their chance when they were maybe they saw Barbara Broccoli when they were ten, and she was like, <laughs> "You could be a good Bond." You've <laughs> got that look. Like sixteen years later, after Daniel Craig, right now is your time. Yeah, who did who did the catering of uh, Quantum of Solace? <laughs> That's your next Bond. She just has an eye for it. Um, but yeah, so Bond does get knocked out by this group of people that emerge from the sea, um, who 
yeah, with, with the dove. There's a connection to Colombo, and he wakes up on a boat. Um, he's given some clothes to wear by some guy, and he walks in and spots Colombo there at his little office desk area. And you you said it already, but Colombo is um, one of the best things about this film. Uh, the actor that plays him. Um, he's there to try and persuade Bond that he's been given the old switcheroo and that actually Christatos is the bad guy in this situation. He's the one that was a um, a double agent or something like that back in whatever it was when Britain gave him that medal. And um, yeah, he's he's basically just uh, a real nasty fella that's that's playing with the Russians at the moment and he's the one that Bond should um, should look out for and, and not... Colombo, and I, I got to say, all while this is going on, Bond is is sat down in this office room, and Colombo is up, and he's kind of walking around, um, eating some nuts. That's his thing. Yeah, <laughs> his thing is pistachios. Yeah. He loves those pistachios. Um, I, you know, it's an introduction to this character, and as I, said, I, re- I really like this character. But this scene, man, they really took the idea that they're on a boat to the extreme here. Because it was making me sick. (laughs) (laughs) They put such a, like a a sea sway on this scene. I don't know if you noticed it, but it was ridiculous. The camera was almost flipping over at points. And it's, you know, it's not an action scene. It's just them sitting down, um, discussing about Christatos and and, uh, him trying to get Bond to trust him. But honestly, I was like, this is just too much. I need to pause it for a second. (laughs) I'm going to be honest, I didn't even notice. Did you not? Oh, man. Maybe it's one of those things when when I spotted it, I just could not stop noticing it. But, you know, I get wanting to be on a boat, but there's just too much. There's too much in this scene. Oh, yeah, that does sound horrible. Um, Something I do like about this scene is because it kind of ends where Colombo's trying to convince Bond. And he's like, well, I'll prove it to you. Uh, We'll go to Albania where there's proof that this is what's going on. So initially he's like, here, have some whiskey. And he's like, oh, by tomorrow we're going to be good friends. But Bond says no to the whiskey, of which Colombo points the gun at Bond that he has, but then gives it to him. And Bond points the gun back at him, but he's like, ah, you've got guts, Bond. Um, and then they drink the whiskey together. Yeah. Which is why I think there's that foreshadowing there of the fact that Bond didn't drink the drink that the guy recommended before but he does for colombo that actually probably colombo is more trustworthy because bond was willing to have that drink and it's a really nice little way of having bond warm to someone and visualizing that right like initially we're like no i don't want your drink but then it's like okay i'll have your drink it's like it's a nice way of pointing to the audience that bond is uh warming to colombo and probably does trust him yeah letting his guard down a bit you're yeah that is a really good point the sort of the mirroring there of the drink stuff I mean, Colombo, or the actor that plays him, I, can't, I don't know what his name is, but um, I feel like they, they just had such a winner with this guy because I was getting big Karen Bay vibes from mm. this character. Just instantly likeable. I feel like they didn't really have to do much in terms of dialogue or, or whatever between him and Bond to make it work and have chemistry. I feel like that guy would have chemistry with, with anyone. You know what I mean? Um, and, uh, yeah... Th- th- he is really one of the best things about this, especially from this point on where he is more heavily involved in the plot um, with his pistachios. I, I do love it. Well, it's just a really good way of having one of these kind of Bond allies where 
Bond is a more straight-laced guy. He might have his quips, sure, but he's more kind of... Yeah, he's more straight-laced. Where this guy is more a bit relaxed, like, hey, friend, sit down, let's have some drinks and stuff. It's it's a really nice dynamic, having someone who's more kind of loose and friendly and open and kind of more willing to help uh, to bounce off of Bond, which is kind of what uh, Karen Bay had, but not quite to this level, so... Yeah, the, the, as you say, the actor carries a lot of this, but I think it's just a really smart idea to pair Bond with someone who acts this way because they just bounce off each other so nicely. Yeah, they really do. Um, so yeah, they head off to Albania. As uh, as Combo says, that's where Chris Atos has got some of his um, heroin warehouse stuff going on. So that's uh, that's the proof. So um, we we cut to them in a boat, uh, kind of mooring up at this harbour. Uh, loads of uh, Columbo's men there. I've got to get used to saying Columbo now, not Christatos. Uh, <laughs> loads of Columbo's men are there with him, with Bond, um, already to... Well, here's the thing is, I wasn't expecting this to turn into the scene it does. I thought they were just there to spy. But then they start to attack the warehouse yeah, well, Did the fact that, that it takes place at night, right? It, it felt like it was a small group of guys going to sneak on. But yeah, they just then get out and it's like, right, let's start punching. And they yeah. just start flying everyone. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for it because it is uh, it is just a bit more, it's just yeah, a lot of chaos again. It's it's like a, a mini <laughs> ending of uh, Spy Love Me where you just get lots of shooting and lots of jumping and lots of grenades being thrown or um, people being uh saved just in time like that happens a couple times with Columbo and you know Bond's got his back and then vice versa um yeah they just they just storm this little dock area and uh Locke's there obviously Locke Locke is there overseeing all this stuff um and they do retreat into this warehouse so they they go in and, and start to like follow them inside uh there's these big drums of raw opium, I think Bond like Bond tastes a bit and like mm, yes, raw opium. Uh, and they also walk past a kind of roboty looking diving suit as well. <laughs> it's huge. It is humongous. It looks like something from a video game, frankly. But I guess that's there to. I don't know if this is where they realize that he's like, oh, this is definitely you know that's that's diving gear. I think Bond might even say like that's a diving gear or something. Um, so just connecting the dots that, yeah, he's probably there doing a salvage operation or he's getting ready to do a salvage operation as well. Um, but inside this warehouse, it's kind of a bit calmed down in terms of all the gunfighting and everything like that, but there are still some guards around. And this is how, you know, it's not just a gimmick, the whole pistachio thing. He doesn't just like to eat pistachios, Colombo, and spit them out. He does it for a reason because he, he has his little pocket full of pistachio shells and he throws them out. Yeah, this is spy. Well, maybe not spy one hundred and one, but it's it's a trick one hundred and one. <laughs> they to, teach um... you this on the first day. <laughs> Always bring some pistachios. Always be chewing nuts just in case. <laughs> yeah, but he throws some shells on the ground as a way to hear if anyone's coming, um, and and yeah, listen out for that. Locke is there in the background, obviously very worried. All of his men have been shot, and his place is being stormed. So he's currently rigging up uh, a mine. And this is why I thought that the first scene with the St. George was an attack because it's the same looking mine. Yeah. But I guess it just, I guess mines look similar. 
right? <laughs> they probably just had this, like, they got a mine. They were like, we'll just reuse it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> like, it probably was the, the exact same mine in both scenes. Yeah. Um, he's there kind of fusing up to a detonator, this mine, and, and um, is a, escaping out of the back so he can blow it up. And yeah, someone steps on the pistachio shells, so they 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 um, push down all the drums and crush them that way. I don't think anything else really happens. Well, there's like this really silly bit where, uh, well, Bond sees the mine and tells everyone to get out of here. Like, there's there's a mine, we got to leave. Uh, but Bond throws a grenade, and then it just goes next to this man who just picks it up, and then it explodes. <laughs> it's like, Does he pick? Oh, yeah. Because like, he why did he pick it up? <laughs> It doesn't pick up as as if he was about to throw it back. He just looks at it. He just looks at it. Mm, what's <laughs> oh, a grenade with no pin. That's odd. It oh. just blows up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Locks men, not the brightest. No. Yeah, they're no Spectre Island agents, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this leads with Locke getting into his car and, and driving off. And we get, would you say this is meant to be a funny scene? Bond chasing on foot. Yes, I don't think so because it, it's yeah. cut. It, it's the audio for me, and it's what it we. So just to kind of summarize, so we have another kind of scene where it's similar to where Spain was, where it's very windy roads, but it's kind of going uphill. So Locke is in his car and he's driving along these windy roads, but he kind of has to go back on himself and turn around and come back up. So Bond is there trying to cut him off, but. Every time that Bond kind of misses or Locke gets away, Bond just goes up the stairs to then go up to the next row to cut to get ahead of him. But mm. we get these shots, and it's the sound editing like we had with the <laughs> moon buggy in Diamonds Are Forever, where you get these like grr, grr, like driving the car like vroom vroom vroom, and then it just cuts to Bond just like tip tap tip tap tip tap, <laughs> like breathing Heavy breathing tip, yeah tip tap tip tap tap the vroom 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 tip tap tip tap. And then also the stairs he has to climb get like longer and longer. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous by the end. There's like, well, there's no way he's going to catch up to the car. There's <laughs> just, there would be no way. Yeah, but that's why I think it's meant to be a comedy scene because of that sound editing choice because they just jump between the two. And I'm up for that. I think it is quite mm. funny, especially because Roger Moore, this is meant to be the older Bond and poor Roger running up these stairs <laughs> trying to catch him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think it is meant to be funny. It made me laugh anyway. I mean, you saying it now, that is making me laugh. So uh, yeah, I think you maybe you're right. I think maybe when I was watching this, I was just too concentrating on what this is leading up to because I knew this moment was coming. Um, but yeah, that yeah, is pretty good, actually. Yeah, I quite liked it. So eventually Bond gets a fr- in front of him, shoots at Locke, and that causes his car to spin out and it dangles off a nearby cliff because they're by the coast and the car is slipping. So Bond casually heads over. Locke is on one side and he's trying to get out of the car, but it's very slowly slipping over. And Bond takes the dove pin, which is the same pin that he got off Luigi. And he says, oh, I believe you put this or you dropped this or something like that. Or this mm. is yours um, to kind of say, oh, actually, that Colombo didn't kill Luigi. It was Locke, but Locke planted the dove there to make it look like it was uh, Colombo's men and the dove. Uh, so throws the pin in. And then Bond just gives the car a good kick, which sends the car going over the cliff. And Bond makes the quip, which go go for it, Joe. Uh, he had 
no head for heights. There we go. Perfect. Better than Roger said it. <laughs> I, I say that with hesitancy because it doesn't make any sense. Nope. His head didn't explode or anything. Nope. So, yeah. Bad quip. Zero out of ten for that. He should have said, because he just gave him a dove pin, right? And what do doves have? Feathers. Wings. Oh, oh. <laughs> just reuse it. Why not? <laughs> the exact same audio. Just. I love if we did that and then just winked at the camera. <laughs> All these feathers and he still couldn't fly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we get quite a nasty shot to end on where we actually see Locke's dead body uh, lying on the rocks. It's a, yeah, another well, instance yeah. of where they don't really shy away from it, like similar to the woman before who Locke ran over. We just see Locke's dead body down there, which is quite a kind of a powerful... We don't linger on it for that long, but it's quite a powerful shot, and I think it ties into the the satisfying ending that we kind of got that we mentioned before, where it's like, yeah, he dangles and Bond gets that satisfying kick, and then we just see him dead like that it's like wow that guy's that guy died he really died he really died they got really lucky with the car fall when they shot that because in the shot that they kept for obvious reasons the dummy like flops out as well like they could not have got they could not have asked for a better um shot there it literally falls out of the the car door and it actually looks like a dead body just flopping out dead like very very good i guess Um, that's the reason they might have done it right like if that didn't happen they probably would have just left it i guess so yeah yeah Uh, i gotta say i I mean i i'm a big fan of this scene i know that some people some people i've read that don't really like this because they think that that it's it's just not roger moore i think even roger moore had kind of qualms against this and was like well this doesn't really feel like me I, i wouldn't be so brutal and cold um but i'm all for it I think I think you know this is the film we've got so far, and it is it is more along these lines, and it's nice to see Roger Moore and his Bond being a bit more like this. And we've touched on this in uh, films like The Man with the Golden Gun, where he's trying to be like this, usually with women, and it not not really working too well. At least you don't you know you don't have that dodgy aspect to it here. It is just him being a cold blooded killer. And, and and you know, finishing this guy off who's who's killed people that he knows, and and uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. Yeah, I'm surprised that people don't like this one. I didn't even think about that because I, to me, that's just something that James Bond would definitely do. I don't mm. think it is. Would Roger Moore's James Bond do it? It's like James Bond would kick off that car. He got what he wanted, and it's also portrayed that he's revenging Luigi, which is also breaks the whole theming of the film. But don't worry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, he would totally do that. And it's not a massive vicious thing. It's Locke also killed the woman from before. And as you say, it's consistent with the rest of the film. So yeah, I thought it worked quite well. It's quite a nice end. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder maybe that... I don't want to bash Luigi too much, but I think I would have preferred... I guess it wouldn't have worked because he needed to throw the pin. But to me, it would have made more sense if he said something about the woman instead. Only because you just saw her get run over so so like in your face but um, yeah that's true yeah, you do need the pin so and I, I if i recall they originally wanted it so that the, the pin was enough to topple it over i that what it felt like right i thought we were going for like a the italian job style thing here yeah yeah but uh i'm glad they didn't do that because a 
how much does that pin weigh? And B, then you wouldn't get the nice kick. Hmm. So, yeah. After that, because uh, when he says the quip of oh, head for heights, is that Colombo and all that have caught up to him, right? Like, yeah, he says that to Colombo. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, not that I don't know why I brought that up because it doesn't really matter because then we, we, we shift to um, Bond with Melina. Uh, they are... Are they, are they both on the seabed or is it just her? They're both on the now. seabed because it really stood out to me because she's in like just a swimsuit and is much more revealing, like in a one piece or something. And then with all the scuba gear and Roger Moore is in a full, completely covered everything suit. And it just <laughs> makes him look like it's another way they've just kind of allowed him to look older. Like he's not even covering, like his hair is covered. Like it's literally everything but his face is covered by this blue scuba suit swimming next to this like beautiful woman just wearing a very basic one. It's like, oh man. Like they get together because of course they do, but it seems like this made me think like, hmm, they're not really a match. (laughs) Well, that's interesting because that would only make sense for them to do that really if they are going to obviously put in some stunt double and that, you know, hide as much of, as Roger Moore as you can and it makes it easier to blend together. But there is no stunt here. Nope. They're just, they, they, they're both, you know, they're on the seabed because she's, yeah, her, you know, her father was a, um, what do you call him? Uh, relic S- hunter? <laughs> Scavenger. Archae- archaeologist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what, you know, she's following her father's footsteps clearly and also doing that down on the seabed and uncovering this temple thing that's down there. And you see some... You see some sea life and some turtles and jellyfish or whatever, but yeah, there's no there's no stunt there. They just come up to surface, back yeah. on the boat, um, and on the boat, the Triana, it's called uh, Bond. Well, actually, you've missed a little detail here. Have I? Because it's a detail that I think is really stupid, and I don't like it. For okay. some reason, she just goes down to one of the pillars and just leaves the oxygen tank there, oh, and swims back yes. up. So they don't explain it, but it comes up later. But even when it came up later, I'm like, but why did she do that at all? She just likes to litter. But like, I'm assuming <laughs> like maybe she intended to come back to that point and she didn't want to bring her oxygen tank up, but that can't be good for the oxygen tank. Like, bring it back up. Don't be so lazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things I just completely was like, yep, that's fine. As I was watching it. <laughs> but I'm it just, it that. comes back and it's quite critical later, yeah. which is why it bothers me because it drops the seeds here that she left her oxygen tank on the ocean floor. But to me, I don't think they give, there, there might be a reason, but I don't think they give anywhere near enough reason and context for it. At the time, it just seems like that's just weird. And then once it comes back later, I'm like, oh, that's just kind of bad writing. You're right. Yeah, no, you are right. Because there's, I guess when you're underwater, they can't even say anything. But I don't know if that would have made it better, really. Um, they do come up and they're on the boat and they're inside uh, her father's kind of study area with the parrot called Max. Um, oh, that was Max. That's that's who was in the script. Oh, I yeah. Who that was. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if at this point we've we've seen Max parroting. Yeah, he does like, it, like, in the very first scene he's in. Right, okay, yeah, because that's, like, a bit of a pop point that comes up is that you know, he's a parrot, so he listens and, and repeats things that's said around him. Um, but anyway, in, in on the yacht, uh, on the boat, 
uh, Bond is asking about whether her father had any journals and if there's any lead that they could go off with where he was last exploring. Um, because yeah, he was obviously meant to be searching for this this wreckage. Uh, so she finds... I don't know why it's taken her this long. I think she does say that she hasn't had the heart to go and look in this stuff yet. But um, they do find one of his journals and it's written in like a shorthand thing. So she deciphers it and and they find this um, this log and they look at the last location that he... he wrote in and and figure out there was something there and that they need to go there and and explore and it's really far down so they need to have this very specific mixture of oxygen and nitrogen and something like that yeah they make it sound important that it's really really deep anyway Hmm. we also get like a cool version of the bond theme maybe that's jumping ahead a bit because they go in this small submarine called the neptune and this was one of the themes i actually did quite like uh I didn't like the music at all, but this one is like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like, it's still very 80s, like a very 80s sounding Bond theme. But I was like, this one's a little bit better. I can get behind this one a little bit more. I'm not 100% sure about it, but it's like, okay, I can get behind this kind of version and update of it. I did write great Bond theme as it's diving, yeah, but I actually can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it's very like, I want to say sim- it's very 80s. Like, it's again, another 80s sounding one, like this film does go all in but yeah it, it was quite cool yeah yeah so yeah as you say they they use their little mini sub called the neptune two-man sub to to dive down um to this last location that the the dad was in kind of working together inside and and she knows what she's doing and i do like that that she is uh she's really useful to bond she knows how to do all this diving stuff. I mean, I'm sure Bond knows as well because he does some stuff later and seems to know. But you know, she's definitely taking the lead with having all this gear and not just there going James, James, <laughs> like a lot of uh, a lot of Bond girls do in the end. So that's good. But anyway, um, they do find the wreckage eventually and see the big blast on the side where the mine hit it. So they uh, kind of suit up and get their their eight minutes of. I think that must be why they said about the oxygen nitrogen mixture is that it only it can only last for eight minutes that particular yeah yeah concentration Bond says like yeah we we don't have a lot of time yeah that that's why yeah yeah so yeah we only have eight minutes so so be quick we're in and out we need to go in there and and find the ATAC and um yeah bring it back sort of thing so um they head out in their in their scuba suits and I do love there's this line where. <laughs> Just as they're getting out and ready to go, Bond says to her, uh, you know, don't talk, don't talk, conserve, conserve your uh, oxygen, only speak when necessary. And immediately there's like a jump scare with a shark coming out of the, the hole of the wreckage. And Bond says, I hope he was dining alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> he just immediately goes against his own device because that is clearly necessary talk. Yeah, I only need to when quip necessary, here. like his quips. Quips are a hundred percent necessary. That's just shaved off thirty seconds. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, they go in and uh, go through the area that we saw at the in the the, the sequence uh, with the Saint George earlier, where it was getting blown up, and there's all these dead bodies floating everywhere. It's quite it's quite well shot this scene with all the bodies floating, and um, they make their way through. I I think. Uh, if I read this right, that actually this this was shot in a on like a dry for wet, so they're not actually underwater. 
um, which is probably why this whole scene looks a lot better to me than previous Drive underwater wet. scenes. Sorry, what do you mean? So it was, it was done. Maybe this scene wasn't actually, but uh, apparently some scenes were where they just add on like a, a, a filter and a fan to look like it's oh you know, right underwater. Clever stuff, clever stuff. But um, they make their way through. Bond has his little map of where the room was with the ATAC, and he um, he heads in there, and you do get. As they're waking, making their way through, some creepy POV shots, heavy breathing, someone's behind them, someone's found them. It is very, um, like, 80s slasher, so I guess it's in keeping with the timing of the film. But, yeah, it's, it's like something you get from Friday the 13th or, or Halloween, you know, from, the, from Freddy's point of view or something like that. Or, no, not Freddy, that's <laughs> Freddy Krueger. Jason, you know. Or uh, Michael Myers, where it's yeah, it was really kind of creepy shots of of them being followed. Well, there's like um, music as well, isn't there? Like not because we get a few of these. It's them doing their thing, disassembling the the ATAC, and then it's creepy first person shots, almost like a Jaws style thing, where the music's building up and it's yeah, like heavy breathing and scary music. It's I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> um, I to me it's it's kind of bad. I think the payoff is why I don't like it. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're getting the ATEC out. They have to cut some certain colored wires and they're following the instructions. And obviously it's taking time and they're running out of time. Um, but they do do it. They they get it released from the um, the machine that the guy tried to self-destruct. And there is also some... Uh, explosives there i guess that was linked to what would have exploded if the guy had managed to pull it in time um, before he died there's like some um what do you call them charges like explosive charges yeah detonator uh, i can't remember yeah. what they call it i think it might be a detonator yeah um and as they're about to escape <laughs> then you, you do find out what the thing was that was chasing them and, and watching them and heavy breathing and it's a giant. It's the giant robot thing from the warehouse. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is. It's such a letdown because I I, re- I really liked the vibe this whole scene had with you know knowing there is something coming up to them and they're in this situation where they're running out of time and you know they're underwater. It's not an easy situation to be in. They're really deep down. They've they've set all this up and they set it up really well. And it's just this really stupid looking bulky yeah diving suit that we saw earlier and there's just there is no there's there's nothing menacing about it all of that is gone immediately it's just huge like it's it's it's, yeah it looks so cramped inside this little boat because it's just massive and it's this yeah it's just so big and it's also got claws which is just not intimidating. Like, if Teehee couldn't pull it off, this guy's got no chance. <laughs> like, he's got these two little grippers that he's coming at you, and it's just like, ugh, would Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street be more intimidating if he had little grippers? So I'm going to grip <laughs> you. Uh, and I, I know what they're going for, because it's the whole thing of, you know, bursting their, like, oxygen pipes that we've seen in previous films, and I guess this is meant to be a, a giant thing they can't take on that can just clip their oxygen and get, you know, cause them to suffocate and drown it's just so awful i i got nothing good to say about this scene i really didn't enjoy it and to be honest oh. i think i remember going into fundable being a little bit unsure about water scenes 
because before this podcast, I was like, yeah, I don't really like the water scenes in James Bond. Like, I'm not a fan of those. And then I watched Thunderbolt, I was like, actually, I kind of like those. What's up with that? And I think when I think of scenes I don't like, it's this, where it's just kind of slow and it's kind of dumb and there's just no real kind of payoff to it. And it's just like, oh, I couldn't get into this at all. So this is when I think of underwater shots in Bond films that I don't like and are bad, this is it. Because I just don't get anything from this scene. It is once you do get the robot diving suit thing. I keep saying robot. It's not a robot. There is a man in there. <laughs> like it just looks kind of roboty to me. But there is a man in this big clunky suit. Yeah. Once that arrives, it does lose a lot. I still do like the first bit of this scene. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick by the first bit. And I think once I accepted the diving suit, I was all right with it. Um, it it does attack Bond and, and Molina, and it, it does get the attack somehow with its little clampy, clampy clamps. Um, and it also like knocks Melina against something, which cracks her uh, tube, like her oxygen tube, um, a little bit. So she's losing her her air faster. Um, Bond eventually does take out this diving suit using those charges, uh, like a one minute timer. He sticks it on the back of this um, diving suit so that they can't reach it, and does manage to to grab the attack back off it and then swim out, swim away and leave it to explode. So they get back to the Neptune, and everything's great. They have the attack. Um, they do make it. I thought they were going to do more about uh, Melina, like actually something happening to her with her running out of air. But she gets in and just sort of looks a bit dizzy and all that sort of stuff. Um, and as they're about to swim away in the little sub, they get attacked by another sub, which again just has more pincer things. <laughs> <laughs> They really love clamps. Yeah. This is a bit where it's like, okay, this bit lost me now because they could have just left it at the diving suit. They didn't need this this second bit. This other mini sub attacks them and starts to you know destroy bits of their one and breaks some tubes and cracks some tanks on the side. And, you know, there's the water starts leaking in and kind of a la uh, the Lotus Esprit and the Spy Love Me. Um, but again, nothing really comes of it because Bond just sort of pushes it. Uh, yeah, it just it just pushes it back into the the wreckage. There's yeah. really nothing to it. Um, yeah, yeah, they, I they, don't get the point. And it's driven by like the nerdiest man you've ever seen. Yeah, they keep having these shots of this man as if he's playing like a video game or something, you know, with like a joystick, and he's like, "Oh, really into it." Um, but yeah, they deal with him quite easily, actually, and and uh, rise back up to the surface. Yeah, so. I mean, I've already said it. I don't like the scene at all. <laughs> uh, but so, so I guess we'll move on. But yeah, so while this was happening, we saw a shot of Chrissy on the boat saying, oh, there's something going on. Like the radar picked up something and he's like, oh, we have visitors. So we saw that earlier as they were down below. So we know he's around. And Bond and Melina get back onto the, the ship and Bond has the ATAC. And we see that the German man is there Eric and, uh, and Chrissy is there as well and they take the the attack off him but Bond is all like let the girl go if you let the girl go we'll double the money that they're paying you off which uh, Chrissy says no I always honor my deals always honor my arrangements something like that uh, so they then go and put the transmitter or the the attack on the desk and because they're on that ship the parrot Max is there and it's just oh, like yeah. freaking out 
And this is when we find out that Eric, the German agent, is actually part of the KGB. And it's revealed that they are here to sell this ATAC to the KGB. So what we heard uh, at the very start of the film of Go-Gru, go, you know, Go-Gru, I think. Goo-Goo. Uh, Goo-Goo, puppy Goo-Goo. Goo-Goo. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all paying off. So this guy is actually working for him and they're working to have a deal where the Greek guy is going to sell it. Um, and we see Bond and Melina being tied up on the ship. And she's all like, oh, I didn't think it would end like this. And Bond's like, we're not dead yet. So mm. there are two ships. So they came on one ship and they've tied them up on their ship. But there's also like this little water, like, I don't know what you would describe it. Like they're tied to a rope that's tied to this like small little, I don't know. It's like, a, it's like a boy or something, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like I a mini know. little boy, like this white boy that looks like a mini sub or something. And then that's connected to the other uh, boat or ship so they yeah they tie them all up they decide don't tie up their legs because we want the sharks to have something to chase or some nonsense and uh there the boat drives off with them tied behind and we see the rope will unravel and eventually they get dragged into the water and are being dragged behind this boat and we see a load of coral that's quite high up so there's actually yeah they're on the, over the top of the water trying to breathe but they're being pulled over the coral and we also see kind of some sharks going around and eventually the boat stops which gives them a chance to dive underwater and bond says hold your breath and they're going to dive so they dive he starts cutting the the rope on some rocks nearby and we see a shark and bond at the very last minute just before the boat goes on cuts the rope and is now free so they go over some more coral going back around which causes some blood to now appear in the water and we see more of a shark. The The boat then stops again, so they dive back down again and Bond ties the rope around the coral and just pulls on it underwater to hold it in place. And the boat starts moving. And I wasn't too sure about this. We, They're like... Actually, yeah, I'm actually not too sure about this. Like, they kind of hold on to it, but I don't think they actually stopped the boat entirely, right? Like, they couldn't have done. Yeah, I guess they're just using the the uh, the rock, like the stress of the rock to take the... Basically, they're, they're relying on the little... I don't know if they know this, but they're relying on the little white boy thing to snap. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's what they're trying to do. They're not trying to stop the boat, they're just trying to snap the rope so they can get free. And that eventually does happen and the little boy goes flying. Oh, that's an odd sentence. That's not what... <laughs> let's, 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 let's change it to the American way of saying it and then it'll, make, it'll sound better. The buoy. The buoy. The buoy, buoy guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, that goes flying and that hits Chris, uh, the, the other boat and that knocks somebody into the water. And as soon as that man goes into the water, he starts swimming, but all the sharks nearby start eating him, which I got very confused by that because I feel like the whole plan here was that he wasn't trying to drown Bond. He was trying to, like, cut Bond up to then get eaten by sharks. Yeah. But that just doesn't happen in the slightest. The sharks just seem to have zero interest in Bond and Melina. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I I'd actually missed the fact that I didn't see the, the bad guy get eaten by sharks. I must have been looking down. <laughs> Well, that's uh, how right they the eventually get away because Bond is bleeding and there is blood in the water which has come from Bond. Mm. But 
all the so their explanation for why they're able to hide is that the sharks find somebody else to eat but they just like instantly eat this guy where bond and melina even when they stop they're just not interested like i get why they wouldn't go for it while they're being dragged along but they get stopped twice and just don't care yeah i guess uh, yeah once you start thinking about it like that it doesn't really make much sense i do l- like this scene though i think it's a bit different um because we, we have had sharks quite a lot i suppose and uh it's not just your typical put them in with the the, the vat of sharks or or the python or the anaconda or whatever it is um you know Christatos is doing something extra evil and and you know want, wanting to watch them whilst it's happening and it's just an interesting kind of situation to be in where they're almost being I read, is it keel hauling? I mean, it's like kind of reverse keel hauling where instead of going under the boat, they're going along the coral. But it's a similar thing where they're all getting scratched up by it. But um, I I liked it just on that principle alone, really, that it's just a bit different. Yeah, it's a good idea. And it is nice to have Bond in these situations where it goes back to the whole, they're trying to do something more practical. So it's not this over-the-top thing. But it's still like a laser scene, isn't it, right? It's still Bond in this situation where he has to find a way out. But... To me, it makes a uh, Chris. Oh, bloody, I, I don't remember his name. <laughs> I liked. I liked how you stick him with Chrissy. Let's do it with Chrissy. I, I like I, that. I think to me, this kind of ruins Chrissy as a villain a little bit because I don't like the way he kind of handles this, where he's just like, "Let's go around again," and they're just going around in like a circle, and they keep culling to the same shot of him smiling on the boat. And he just looks really lame. Like I just don't buy him <laughs> as like an intimidating villain who's like torturing these people instead he just seems just rubbish and i wish it was someone a little bit better and a little bit more menacing i don't know if it's because in bond we normally get the calm and collected one right where it's like yes kill them and then they just watch it quite calmly like what we got with uh, drax in the in the last film which i quite liked but this one just seems to kind of be enjoying it but not in a way that's fun and I, I kind of wish there was a better villain to pair along with this scene. And I think it just makes Chrissy seem a bit... I, yeah, I just didn't like it. I didn't buy him kind of doing this. And it seems a little bit contrived because eventually Bond does have to escape, which he does. And the the shark stuff doesn't really make sense. And eventually he just swims down to the oxygen tank tank that Melina just happened to leave for them before which is how they escape and then Chrissy is just like oh the shark's probably gone let's leave and then they just leave and I'm just like <laughs> it just makes him look so dumb and just such a rubbish villain like good idea for having them dragged along when that's when they're being tied up that's really cool and first get launched into the water like oh wow that's pretty intense uh, but it kind of falls flat for me because of uh, I think the villain ruins it if it's a typical villain problem, if they'd have just waited another couple minutes, that's all they had to do. They were right there. They were right, right there. there. What's another minute or two? You're in no rush. But this is where I think, like, we talked about how with Goldfinger all those weeks ago, how actually it does make sense. It's a stereotypical scene, and most people would pair that up with the whole villain acting dumb. But Goldfinger doesn't act dumb. He is smart in terms of what he's doing and Bond has to just use his wits to convince them. But it seems like it is the Roger Moore films where the villain kind of acts a little bit dumb sometimes. And that's what I get from this one. This is just a bit dumb of him. He wants he's being too busy being evil and trying to torture them and stuff and he just doesn't end up killing them and they just escape due to his stupidity. There's not like a, a 
you know, it's not like Goldfinger where actually Goldfinger is making a good decision, but also Bond is making a good decision because it lets him live. Like they just don't balance it out very well with these films. I I would have liked because from this point on, yeah, Crisatos, he's the bad guy. He's clearly the bad guy in the scenes now. Like he knows that they know, sort of thing. And I I do think this is. I, I would have loved to have had more of him like at the dinner table where he's he's playing Bond against uh, Columbo. Uh, I, I liked that aspect of him where he's kind of one step ahead of Bond in a way um, because as much as I do like this character being more realistic and like I said earlier, he's just a bit of a dweeb and you said yourself, he does look a bit of like a dweeb and, you know, failing with this attempt at killing um, Bond and uh, uh, Melina. As much as I do like that, from this point on... He is not as good um, because he, you just can't really buy him a lot of the time. In, and he doesn't, equally, he doesn't really have uh, what Drax had going for him at times where he just, you know, he has the quiet demeanor and then at the end he is, he lets loose, like he panics and then you get kind of crazy Drax to an extent. Um you don't get that with this guy. He, he's just kind of the same now throughout the rest of it. He doesn't really blow up. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, yeah so, I know what you mean. Like, Kananga had that as well, where he had the kind of multiple personalities and he just went a bit mad by the end. Yeah. But you can do that when you have more exaggerated villains. This is not a more exaggerated villain. So it's just kind of like, okay, this collected guy who's kind of quite professional and yeah, smartly dressed or whatever. And now he's just going to be the guy who's bit more disorganized and all over the place it's just just don't buy it i just don't think they should have used him this way and maybe they should have kept him out of the scene entirely and just have it be the german eric guy who does it like i would have bought that a lot more Hmm, that's a good idea actually and that would have actually made uh i guess he did try and kill bond earlier but but what you know how how the how how eric goes um it would have been a bit better if there was a bit more behind the, those two characters. So yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, like he's the way he is, I would buy him trying to torture Bond, but because he does seem a bit dumb, he did crash into a chicken coop that one time. I would also <laughs> buy that he would maybe make those mistakes and you could separate him from the main villain. It's just now they're trying to make the main villain like, oh, I'm a villain, let's torture them. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, it goes a bit too far the other way. Um, yeah, as you say, they, they use up some of the oxygen from the tank that... Um, I keep forgetting her name. Why do I Melina. forget now? Melina. Uh, that Melina left down there earlier uh, and wait until Chris Atos leaves, thinking that they've been eaten by sharks. They go back on the boat, and earlier on when Chrissy... <laughs> I'm going to start saying Chrissy, Chrissy. Now, uh, ...was talking to Eric and talking about the, the, the selling of the ATAC and... You know, saying, "All right, well, I'll get the, you know, I'll get the general over. I'll get Golgol over, and we can sort this out." And uh, Chris Altus is like, "No, no. I mean, I, I, you said I get to pick the place, so we're going to go do it at this place called Saint Cyril's." Um, and the key is, is that Max was they were in the room with Max while they were saying this, because Bond and Molina they head back to the ship, and they're kind of at a loss now. They, this is what I said earlier about how Max is the key to all of this. <laughs> They would have nothing if it wasn't for what happens next because they're in there and, yeah, obviously looking defeated. Uh, and then suddenly you hear Max say 
something like Atac at St. Cyril, um, which then gives them the lead to the next place. And it's I I I like the idea that Bond would have failed here. <laughs> Bond has just lost the ATAC. And the only way that this film progresses is a parrot. It's just so silly. It's so silly. <laughs> yeah, it's more of that silly. I didn't really dislike it, but uh, or anything. I'm not going to complain. Don't worry. Um, I, I liked it, yeah. But it is more like they couldn't help themselves. They needed to get the comedy in there. This is not just a From Russia with Love on a Managed Secret Service film. Very clearly wanted comedy and silly moments in here, which leads quite nicely to the next scene. Oh, yeah. Where... Yeah. Bond then cuts to going to a church and there seems to be some sort of wedding going on and this big street party happening and Bond is all dressed up and he walks through, goes into a church and seems to step into a confessional booth and he goes into the confessional's booth and goes to speak to the father or says, I can't remember exactly what he says, but something about confessing and we see the the father in there with big beard and it's Q. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in disguise with a big old bushy beard <laughs> and, but he's like oh fuck you he's just like i don't know where the atec has been taken there's a, so many um saint cyrils in the area we simply can't locate say which one is which um so instead bond says oh i might know a man that might help and that man is colombo but I mean, it's hilarious Q dressing up like this and being in a confessional booth, but it is very forced. Like, it's a How? quick one-minute scene purely for this joke. And it's a strong enough joke. I love seeing it. <laughs> but, yeah, a little bit forced. I just love all the questions that it brings up. How long was he in there? Uh and and why did he have to be in person to tell Bond this? Wait, and... Isn't he in like Spain as well or something? Or not Spain, but you know, like he's not in England. He must have been talking to people like as a like as a father working in that church. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. He he had to do that. He had to train for six weeks to, <laughs> to be just for Bond, Just just for Bond to come in and say you know, two sentences. <laughs> it is it is really silly. I I almost wish it. It wasn't in there, and Bond just went straight to Colombo. Um, but yeah, it's Q, so I'll forgive it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny enough. It's quite rare for this to happen. To be fair, it's funny enough that I'm okay with it. But normally, I would be saying just cut straight to Colombo. But yeah, it's so short, and just putting Desmond in this gear, <laughs> like they must have just done that, saying like that's hilarious. That's going in the film. Yeah, I mean, maybe he, maybe Desmond was like, oh, can I? You know, I want to get on on this. Can I have a little bit of a? I'm bored of just looking like you. Come on. Give me a disguise or something. Is that right? We've got just the thing. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Bond says he knows who will know, and that is Columbo. So he, I think it just cuts straight to the area. Yeah, just they're just all them. dressed as like monks. Yeah, because it turns out St. Cyril is, or the one that Christatos is, is planning to do the trade at, is um, this monastery on top of this giant mountain. It's really, really cool looking location. Um and yeah, they're disguised down below as monks. They being Bond, Columbo, a couple of his men, and um, Melina is there as well with her crossbow. She's ready, always with a crossbow. And um, Columbo's there just talking about the the location and and how to get up there and how it's only accessible from this basket on 
um, on the left-hand side or some, something like that. You, ha- you have to get up on the right-hand side away from the building at the top and uh, climb this gigantic cliff face. Um, so they they task Bond with going up there first and, and releasing a basket to come down and then get the rest of them to go up and then go and find Chris Atos and you know, deal with him. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of getting on to, like, this is now the climax of the film. And we now get, well, do we get Bond climbing first? No. Yeah, we get a little scene of Chrissy we, and Eric yeah. inside. Just, it's very brief, but just confirming, yes, they're there, and they do have the, the ATAC there, uh, just so they know they are actually going to the right place. Yeah. And there's also a scene, I, I might be getting the order slightly wrong here, but there's also a scene with um, BB. She's in there. She's still there with her trainer, um, complaining. Oh, why are we in this dirty old building up here? You know, I want to be back down where everyone else is. And, you know, th- complaining with, with all due respect, like, you know, not very, <laughs> just being whisked away by uh, Chris Atos. And he's he does come in and, and, you know, she's complaining to him. And you do get you do get a nice, like, creepy element here where he's saying, oh, you know, the the thing that we, we want is for you to win the the Olympics or the, to win the medal. And she says something like, well, I know the thing you want, obviously implying there's, like, grooming going on here. And it, it very quickly makes him into a proper creep. Like, it's just, it's such an effective way of making him even more of a nasty man because, yeah, like, and the fact that she knows as well, like the situation she's in, it's honestly kind of like it's gross, but it, it, it works because that's what they're trying to say. Like this is a this is a nasty man, and um, yeah, it's, it's really really short. That's about it, really. I think when he storms off, you you maybe get something about how the the two of them might try and escape, or you get something between her and the trainer that kind of reveals that actually she's not that bad. Yeah. Um, so like. He threatens them or threatens the teacher saying, like, you turned her against me. You've betrayed me. Oh, yeah. But then the teacher's all, like, talking to BB afterwards, being like, I, I would, I'm always on your side or something like that. Like, I would always protect you, uh, implying that the teacher does have her best interests at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, she looked so nasty before. You just can't judge people. You just can't judge them. Try not um, to. Then, it, yeah, then we get Bond climbing up, I think. So this is this is like the as I say this is the end this is the action right this is the action of of Bond the big like the big scene is Bond climbing up this cliff face and you know he's there and he's got his little I don't really know the terminology for the stuff but you know the little things you hammer in and he's uh making his way up hammering in and climbing up and it's really, really simple stuff. Um, it really is just someone climbing up a humongous cliff. But this might be one of my favourite endings to any of the Bond films we've had so far. I really love this whole climbing segment purely for its... It, it's tense and it's, it is nerve-wracking and it's visually striking. And it's just so simple. It's just a man climbing up a big cliff. And you get the little insert shots of, oh, there's a wobbly rock and, oh, is he going to make that? And um, 
hammering the things in and that wobbles a bit. And it's really, yeah, as I say, really, really simple little shots. But great. I love it. I like it as well. I was surprised how much I liked it because initially I didn't. Like it, it started, I'm like, is this it? Because they don't really show him climbing up that much to start with. You just no. get more insert shots of a man on a cliff edge or cliff side. Uh, that's but, Roger. Yeah, that's totally Roger. <laughs> um, but then they do kind of show a bit more, and once the the henchman or the goon shows up, it then becomes something else, which is a, a part I also like. Um, but I think it's another one where they've found a really amazing location to shoot at. Yeah. Because it's this monastery on top of this huge rock, which I'm assuming is just a real place. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks incredible. Similar to the man with the golden gun. Like this is just like, wow. Like just put this on camera. They really found a, a great location. So having Bond climb is great. I will say though, <laughs> I just don't buy Roger Moore climbing a cliff <laughs> in the slightest. I knew you were going to say this. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, it's not enough to ruin it or bring it down really. But yeah, when they insert the shots of Roger Moore this high up, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, Roger. Okay, all right. Uh, because they've been going with this whole theme of him being a bit more older and wiser and, and more established and stuff. And I feel like maybe the climbing stuff, like, sure, doable, not crazy, uh, but maybe isn't quite the time to do that. Uh, maybe this would have been better with maybe the man with the golden gun or something if it was a an earlier set piece. Yeah, potentially, potentially. I think it the fact that it's again it's one of those scenes where uh, one of those stunts where someone is doing that and you just you just kind of let it slide for me. Um, literally let it slide because Bond reaches the top of this cliff face and kind of is, is peeking his head over just get in there and there is a guard at the top who decides not to shoot bond or anything like that uh instead kick him down kick him back down the the cliff face so you get this great shot of someone actually doing that like it's a really wide angle shot from really far back of someone falling um from this cliff face um which apparently was a really dangerous thing to do, like with the like the bounce back on it and everything. So, yeah, cool shot. Um, but it looks it really dangerous. Like this is like this is what re- that shot is what sells all of this it, because this yeah. henchman is kind of climbing back down and he knocks out one of the hooks. And when that happens, Bond just drops and it goes flying away from the cliff face. But yeah, that's like, oh, that's like um, what do they say, heart in your throat sort of moment. Seeing yeah. this man fall and then just stop. It's like, ooh, ooh, it like it sells it really well, the height. It's just a sort of kind of gut reaction to it, isn't it? You're yeah. totally right. That really does, that is what sells it. Um, Bond is there dangling and the, the guard is, yeah, now that it's spotted him. I guess the guard is just really cocky and wants to be like, hey guys, I, I sorted out this guy on my own. That's why he doesn't go and get anyone or try and shoot him. Uh, instead, he, he knocks out the supports that Bond has been putting along the cliff face so and every time he knocks one bond gets dropped lower and lower where it's you know there's more slack in the rope i think Um, just to be fair to him you can't really shoot him because the cliff the way the cliff is it is quite like outwards then it comes in so you can't really shoot over the cliff because you would have to like aim back which you couldn't do like i'm not saying he did the smart choice here of climbing down himself but I do kind of see why like you you would either just have to wait or because you just couldn't shoot him. He would have to come yeah. all the way to the top to shoot him. Yeah. 
so whilst Bond is dangling there, he uses um, his shoelaces to to climb up. Like he he does. Do you know what? I actually did this. I, I am James Bond. Oh, cool. <laughs> no, at university, um, I signed up. I didn't actually do it for a very long time, but there was a caving society, and I did one of their taster sessions. And part of it was learning this climbing method. I think it's called SRT is the climbing method where you, yeah, like you hoist yourself up using your foot. Um, and that's what Bond does. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I actually kind of know what he's doing. I was terrible at it though, bear in mind. It looks but, um, really hard. Yes, I, I had like one session. I was like, now nah, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> this will never I'm happen. Done. I just want to go in, near ropes. I'll just watch Bond do it instead. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, he, he climbs up um, It's very well. I was going to say slowly, but it clearly was very quickly because he reaches the top remarkably quickly before the guy like finishes um, punching out with a gun all of the supports. Like Suddenly he's just there at the top and is able to uh, kill him with a, like a throwing knife, which then causes the, the guard to fall off. Well, I will say about this guard, I put in my notes, when I refer to him, I just refer to him as Adam Driver. Because <laughs> he just looks a lot like him. He does look like Adam Driver. Well, I liked. Like, I yeah, also like this very end bit as well because he falls off, and we get another shot of a man falling with a long scream, which is hilarious as always. Mm. Um, it feels like this one is meant to be funny though, because they zoom right out, like it's a very long distance shot, and we just see the body go. But they've just added in the scream that. <laughs> like that, that to me feels like it's meant to be funny but i like this idea because he has dangled a rope down next to bond and because he the adam driver's been knocking out the hooks uh the ropes are about to go and bond's on the last hook so he grabs onto his rope and that's what he uses to actually get to the top i, I thought that was kind oh, of a, a nice small touch i miss that because yeah like in in his effort to get rid of him he the the guard Adam Driver does go quite far over like to you know f- to his own mistake there really but yeah I did I missed that that's quite a cool touch yeah I think it's really cool as well it's just Bond being resourceful but yeah I really like the scene the, it's very simple the guard just knocking out the hooks and having Bond climb up but I don't don't have that much to add to be honest I just agree it's just really good it's really good yep it, as you say they had a great location they kept it really simple they used the stunts they used the they just used it all really really well and they did something even crazier they actually played the bond theme at a time where it makes sense <laughs> <laughs> bravo because right at the very end here they kick it once bond gets to the top they're kicking the bond theme not for long but for a little bit and it's like yeah that makes sense that's when you should play that theme but someone just that's a didn't bond have moment. that memo for yeah. the last few films <laughs> Uh, yeah, so they're now all at the top, and or Bond's at the top, and he's trying to get to the the hatch or the basket to to lower it down. And we see a man patrolling along, and Bond sneaks around him, goes into this room, shuts the doors, and locks the doors. And this is where the the basket is that he can lower down. So there's a hatch in the floor. He opens up the hatch, lowers the basket. Not all of them get in, but some of them get in because uh, there's just not enough room for everyone. So they get in and it starts going up. The man who was patrolling before that Bond sneaks past, he can't get in. Uh, so he tries to open the door, it's locked. So he peeks around the window, has a little peek, and doesn't see anyone. 
but we see Bond is hiding up against the wall. So the man tries to just enter again. <laughs> and eventually he uh, like goes round to the other side, of which by this point Melina has got up and just shoots the man with a crossbow. But unlike everyone else in the film who got shot by a crossbow, he doesn't die. Yeah. And it's just screaming, just like, ah, <laughs> you've shot me with a Ow. crossbow. <laughs> Ow, this really hurts. Come on. <laughs> who uses a crossbow? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, so Columbo is now up there as well. And he's like, ah, try and shut him up. Of which they offend. Like, he is screaming a lot, like wiggling around. So they just tie him up and gag him and get him, get him all tied up and tied to the chair because they don't want to be seen. So they're very much trying to keep a low profile as they sneak in. And after that, we then cut to BB and the teacher who are packing their things. And the teacher says, I'll never leave you. We, we've got to go. We need to leave. And at the same time, we see, see old Goo Goo. Goo Goo Gaga <laughs> is on a helicopter. So we saw a little bit earlier that Chrissy and the Eric. Oh, these names are just nonsense. That we've got. Yeah, I, I was just thinking like this must be the worst one so far in terms of our naming. <laughs> Cr- Chrissy, Puppy, Goo Goo, Adam Driver, BB, BB, Goo Goo, which is making sounds at this point. Yeah, it's for babies. It's the baby episode. <laughs> uh, so he's heading there by helicopter. So we saw that. That's who's making the deal to get the the attack. So he's now heading there. So Bond and Colombo and the men, they start sneaking around the base. They knock, Colombo knocks a man out and they then keep sneaking through. They open a door and go through this like courtyard and they find the teacher, the the BB's teacher. So they grab her and she says, actually, we're leaving. We're not on the side anymore and that will help you out. So I don't understand what happens here because... They then enter and don't see any guards. Like, all the guards have just cleared out. They sneak around a bit. The teacher points to a room, like, directs them in a certain way because they're not talking because they're trying to be quiet. And, like, all the guards are just in bed? Yeah, nap time. Was it just nap time? <laughs> yeah. I guess they're doing it in shifts. I, 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 I don't but, know. But, like, yeah, all the guards are in there. I thought it was something like she drugged them. But then... Oh. I don't know why they would go to bed. It's just weird. It is a bit strange because we've seen a lot of guards. That's why I think maybe, yeah, maybe they're, they're just different rotors because we've seen a lot of guards already. So why are so many asleep? Yeah, it's it's really confusing. So they they all like point guns at the guard and one starts waking up because apparently they were actually all asleep, even though it's like the middle of the day, but whatever. <laughs> Uh, and Colombo knocks knocks him down and someone else shows up with a gun and is about to shoot, but Melina shoots them or points the crossbow at them. And the teacher explains that uh, Chrissy is on the other side of the courtyard. So I think they're staying. Some of them are going to stay there to keep an eye on the guards while they'll go and uh, go to the other side. But we see that BB is there with Chrissy and just confronts him, of which he freaks out and just slaps her which mm. I don't really get the point of this scene. Like, why couldn't BB just be with the teacher? Like, why did they even separate? I don't. I, I guess it's more trying to make this villain seem even more unpleasant. But at this point, it, it doesn't really matter. I don't think. Yeah, we're too late now. Just yeah. Yeah. So the helicopter is now about to land, and everyone can hear the helicopter going. So Colombo and Bond fight a couple of guards. They they're chasing, and 
as Bond and Columba are fighting these guards, Eric sees that something's going on through these stained glass windows, like these very colourful church-style windows, and can see the shadows. And Bond and the person he's fighting go through the window, and BB is there for some reason. <laughs> so Bond goes to fight Eric, the German guy, and BB takes a swing at him, but just gets pushed aside. And Bond <laughs> goes to punch him, and... He does the classic, oh, he, Bond punches him and doesn't he doesn't react at all because it's very tough. And Bond is thrown over a table. Again, more classic just stuff where he gets thrown and the German grabs a big old candlestick, a big long metal kind of candle, maybe sticks the wrong word. I think it's, you know, it's more like a holder, like one of those old mm. style ones and starts yeah. jabbing at him. And the German then picks up a very heavy flower pot and goes to throw it, but he sees that Chrissy is leaving him. So as he's distracted, Bond picks up the the candlestick and pokes him with it, and that knocks him off, and we get another great shot of just a dummy being thrown off a cliff. (laughs) There's there's a lot of them in this, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. They got him nice and high, so it's like, all right, we'll just throw some dummies off. and, And that's the end of Eric, who, you know, this fight's fine, I think it is kind of a nice little ending to have him pick up something heavy and then Bond use that though to his advantage. I like that as a little payoff, but like with this being a more gritty grounded film and the direction they're trying to take it, the the fight scenes don't really improve. Like they're not bad by any means, but they have they didn't really find a way to make them a bit more interesting than some of the other Roger Moore ones. Yeah, that is true. I think just, we kind of said before, but the the fight scenes with Roger Moore Bond it's it they're never they're never really going to be great, just the way it is. I will say, though, I do wonder, the dummy budget for this film must have been astronomical. I wonder dummy if after you can, dummy. like... You know how you said about the man with the golden gun is called, like, Bond Island, and you can go check it out? Mm. Can you go to this monastery and find, like, a load of dummies on the ground <laughs> and take a picture with them? Have your photo with Eric. Maybe. I don't even know where this place is. I have no Maybe clue. do I. I mean, is it actually somewhere in Greece? I don't have no no idea. I just wonder if in like 200 years time, people forget what it is and start wor- worshipping like this German dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like thousands of years in the future. What is this? What is this artifact? <laughs> Aliens come. <laughs> it must be important. <laughs> so Chrissy has headed off with the ATAC um, and left Bond and Eric and yeah. Eric is hoisted out the window. Um, so we we cut to uh, Gogol landing and, and Chrissy wants to go and meet him um, to go do the deal. I, I really, I can't believe I'm saying Chrissy at this point. It's just yes. <laughs> don't, don't egg me on. Good. <laughs> um, do you know what? I said I was going to finish off this part, but I actually can't remember the order of it. Well, I think it's, yeah, because it's all happening very quick where yeah. uh, Chrissy is frantically at this point trying to get to the helicopter because the helicopter is landing and he's frantic, frantically trying to get up there. So they get to the, Bond catches up with him and gets to the top and gets the A-Tech off him. But the Molina is there and catches up with a crossbow and goes to shoot Chrissy on the ground. But Bond steps in the way and says, don't shoot, revenge is bad, even though I've done it like three times, but don't worry about that. <laughs> it's men's stuff, honey, don't worry, darling. <laughs> don't worry about it. Uh, but as Bond is stopping her, Colombo shows up and throws a knife 
into his back. Uh, right, because because Chrissy him. was about to, he had a he had a little switchblade or something, didn't he? And he was about to do it. I think so. I took it more as just Columbus, like I hate this guy and I have a connection to him, so I'm just going to kill him. I think you're right. I think he was about to do something, but I just saw it as more as Columbus, just that sort of guy where it's like, nope, I want him dead. I'm going to kill him. My time to shine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, Chris is dead. Bond has the attack. And good old Gogol, he has a bit of nerve, doesn't he? He comes up and still gesturing, you know, come on, hand it over. He's met Bond before. <laughs> Surely he knows that Bond is not going to do that. Um, so instead, Bond just uh, throws it off the cliff and says, uh, you know, that's detente. I don't have it. You don't have it. Because um, you get this, it, it falls off the edge of the cliff and you get this really over the top slow motion shot of it bursting into a thousand pieces it's it's so gratuitous but yeah that thing is gone they wanted to let you know like that is not just landed on on eric down there that thing is is dead (laughs) yeah they Um, love throwing things off cliff and then showing it got the old lock treatment (laughs) yeah 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 and uh gogol finds this very funny He's loving it. It's like, all right, then, and gives Bond a little wave and back on the helicopter he goes. Uh, And then you do, you see what happens to, um, I guess Columbo got injured at one point because you see BB has, uh, has like suddenly found him and now she's all over him. And Bond says something like, oh, I guess uh, BB's found another sponsor and Chris uh, Columbo looking, you know, very happy <laughs> with BB in the corner. I really um, love that little moment where he laughs after it because, again, he knows he's doing something wrong and it just ties into the Cold War stuff so well where it's like they're both trying to go against each other so it's almost like a little touche, like a little nod of the cap because yeah. I think the idea of him saying hand it over is because there is someone behind with a gun. So it's like, I can just shoot you and take it of which Bond decides instead of just being shot, he just throws it off. And once it goes off the cliff, that's that. And nobody wins, which then allows them to par their ways because he can't be seen to just kill a British agent like that for no reason. Uh, I, I really love it. I think there's a re- it's really, really nice the way this film ends. It's really satisfying, but also ties into the Cold War stuff so well. I, I do love that little moment, as short as it is. It is a satisfying ending, isn't it? which is not something you can say for a lot of Bond films, to actually come away feeling satisfied. It usually just happens and you go, okay, that happened. But yeah, I, I, re- I, yeah, I like this ending. And I just like Gogol. It's just a, a, a nice character. <laughs> when it's not uh, sleeping with beautiful young women, his <laughs> flying I mean, even, to monasteries. We did even get a bit of that in this one as well. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah there's a, it's, I think way at the beginning, you do see his secretary come in and there's a little bit of you know flirting going on. So, yeah. And this all ends with the final scene where Bond and Melina are on a boat kissing. I guess they're a thing now. <laughs> I guess so. I, I'll check the script again, but I don't remember that <laughs> happening. It's a bit, it's a little bit disappointing, um, but it's um, not that big of a deal, yeah. I guess. I feel like there's definitely, it, there's more there to work with to, to kind of sell that. Yeah, I mean, she saved his life or what, vice versa. There's definitely things going on there. Um, it is really just that whole revenge thing that I think doesn't work very well between them. You having said that, it, it, like it, how it just completely goes against what Bond has done. 
I still like it, but it is the weaker part of that. But I, I still like the two together. I haven't spoken about Melina that much. Uh, I think she's fine. I, I do agree with you that I appreciate them trying to give her an arc, and it's something I complained about in the past. Like, just give them a bit of an arc, a bit of a reason for being here, a bit of things to kind of go through. It's just they still just didn't have the chops to pull this through. I'm not a massive fan of this actor as well. I just, just don't really buy her that much. So I don't think she's bad, but I haven't spoken about her much because I don't think she's bad, or, but I don't really think she's that good either. She's more middle of the road, which in terms of Roger Moore films is pretty damn good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I find her just very middle of the road. Um, an effort was made and it's not a bad effort, but not nothing amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did like her, um, even though I think there was some dodgy dubbing but then I should not be surprised by that. This is a Bond film. Yeah. And yeah, they're kissing on the boat and we see the minister and Q and I think uh, Bill Tanner as well trying to contact Bond. And Bill Tanner goes to contact number 10 to dial them through. And uh, so so while they're on the boat, Melina says, how about a little moonlight swim? And Q radios Bond's watch and we see the watch go off and start talking and... So he's like, Bond, coming Bond, 007, are you there? And he takes off the watch and puts it next to the parrot. And hmm. at this moment, she derobes and gets naked along with Bond and says, for your eyes only, darling. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then while this is happening, the parrot is replying. So Q's like, Bond, Bond. And the parrot just repeated going like, Bond, Bond. And Q's like, haha, success. Very good. And then they patch it through to the Prime Minister, who, because it's the 80s, it's Margaret Thatcher, but they actually have someone playing her at her home. And yeah. she picks up the phone, and we I do quite like the moment of Q and the Minister all being happy and like high-fiving. <laughs> like, yes, we've done it, boys. <laughs> Very good. So we have Margaret Thatcher on the phone saying, oh, thank you very much. Thank you for what you've done. And the parrot just repeats it saying, thank you, thank you. And then we see her husband, Dennis, who is just someone I just don't know anyone about. He looks like a very odd character. But as far as I can tell, that was like, it is someone playing her real husband who's meant to be someone. I I just don't know who he is. So it just means nothing to me. And yeah. And then the parrot says, like give us a kiss and she's all like oh bond (laughs) Uh, and at this point again this bit also made me laugh where they just start panicking it's like unplug the machine just (laughs) they just rip all the wires and the parrot starts laughing for some reason and throws the watch into the ocean and then credits and for your eyes only kicks in I have said a lot of good things about this film. I hate this ending. I, I, not even just because it's Margaret Thatcher and I just think there's no place for this sort of thing in a Bond film, like actual politics. But it's... Well, no, it is just that reason, actually. That is the main reason I hate it. And I hate the fact that when they bring her husband husband on, it's like a clear... It's like a gag. Like a gag as in like a, a, a sketch gag. Like I'm watching a, a, a comedy with someone mm. coming in putting a funny face. I hate this ending. Yeah, it's bad. It's it, it's also bad because it is just a carbon copy of what we've seen before. They really think these scenes are brilliant because they just keep doing it. 
but their way of trying to like escalate it and go to another level is we'll actually have someone play margaret thatcher and i feel like the main reason they did it is not because of her politics or anything but because a woman prime minister well of course she would be swooned by bond but then they did they just had it as a parrot instead it's just like what are you what are you doing john john glenn what are you what are you doing I also think they probably did this in part because the actress that does Margaret Thatcher really, really looks like her and really sounds like her. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, you know, credit where it's due. She's a very good impressionist of Margaret Thatcher. Um, so, I mean, I guess maybe they saw it and thought, oh, this would be really good. You know, we, we, had, um, we had them being patched, patched through to the president and the queen last time. Let's have the prime minister this time. And they do mention earlier in the film about how the the prime minister will have our guts for garters with this whole ATAC thing. So there's a little bit of a uh, connection there. But yeah, I really don't like the ending. No. I hope they don't do this anymore. But I have a feeling that's not going to go away. Do you think so? Not for the Roger Moore era, anyway. Oh... As in this type of ending where it's someone... Yeah. Where it's it's the same ending where it's like Bond is now sleeping with the Bond girl and Q and everyone and MI6 had, you know, put them on screen and be like, oh, goodness, again? (laughs) (laughs) This keeps happening. Goodness. We really should stop this. Yeah. But at the end of the credits, we don't get the end. It doesn't say the end of For Your Eyes Only. It just says James Bond will return in Octopussy. Yeah. There you go. There we go. That's For Your Eyes Only. Um... Oh, who went first last time? It might have been you, actually, for Moonraker. I think it was me. Okay. Yeah, go for it. So I'm going to go first, and I'm going to be blunt. I didn't like this film. Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just didn't like it. And it's an interesting one, because a lot of films that we've watched, there's been stuff I've complained about, like pretty much every, all of them. Like even like my top two at the moment are from Rush, Love and Thunderball. Even those films, I, there was stuff I didn't like about them. But what I found with a lot of these Bond films and why I would say my top 10 at the moment, which is from Russia with Love down to Moonraker, I enjoyed all of them, is because there's stuff I did really like about it. Like Moonraker, I really like the space stuff. And Live and Let Die, which is my number nine, I really like... I think Kananga is actually really good and I think there are some really good kind of things in there and I'd like Roger Moore in that film even if it's his first one. There's there's always stuff I really like. So it's like I might watch a scene that's bad but then a couple of scenes later I see something that's really good and For Your Eyes Only is the first one where like that just doesn't happen and a lot of the scenes are either just average or bad to me. I shouldn't say the first film because Diamonds Are Forever, I didn't really think. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, but, yeah. but it never really reaches any heights that even something like Moonraker that I have a number 10 reached. Like Moonraker had Drax, who I did like, and the space stuff that I did like. And I actually really quite like Jaws by the end of that film. This one just doesn't have anything like that. It's all just kind of just really average and limp stuff. And a lot, I don't like Locke. I don't like the villain. I think the Bond girl is just okay. I think the music is absolutely atrocious and really bad. And when you try and make this more kind of grounded version of Bond at this point in the franchise, I feel like they went too far and they've just made it seem a bit just lifeless and a bit more meaningless. 
where they're trying to replicate something without really having that spark and trying to inject in their own sort of version that they've done with the Roger Moore franchise. And it makes for a very confusing, forgettable, kind of a bit naff film. Like the ski stuff we've seen before, and I would say better. And the underwater stuff we've seen before, and I would say better. And the climbing stuff is great. Like, if I'm going to say anything about the film positive, that climbing stuff is great. And the Q scene <laughs> was great. Oh, the Q scene. Top tier oh, yeah. Q scene here, which helps. And I do have a soft spit for the opening theme. So, you know, still not one I really hated. But I came away from Moonraker, my number 10, saying I enjoyed that film. I did not come away from this saying I enjoyed it. I would just say it was kind of a bit rubbish. And at times when what we're about halfway through the film, I think about the time Locke died or a bit before that, I was like, am I going to have to rank this lower than Diamonds Are Forever? because I'm having a miserable time here. And even miserable. Diamonds Are Forever, there was stuff I liked with Blofeld and uh, some of those scenes I liked. This was like, at times, worse for me than Diamonds Are Forever, because I was just like, this is either just bad or forgettable. And that's what I had throughout the whole film. Now, luckily, the ending stuff with the monastery saves it, and it is one of the really better endings in the franchise. Um, so I'm not going to rank it below Diamonds Are Forever, but I was close at times. Uh so I'm going to rank it below Moonraker. So Moonraker is coming at number 10, a film I enjoyed. Diamonds Are Forever is number 11, a film I did not enjoy. And I'm going to put it at number 11. So below Moonraker and above Diamonds Are Forever. There's just no peaks in this film for me to like even out to say I enjoyed it. I just either had a bad time or just a very whatever average time. Wait a minute, where did you rank it, did you say? Number 11. Number 11, okay. So... Right, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is such a Marmite film, then. It Holy must be. moly. It's the Moonraker of James Bond films. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, <laughs> I started off this podcast series putting this as my fifth worst Bond film. And I, um, I, sh- I was shocked. I was shocked at how much I really enjoyed this film. Like, r- like really enjoyed it. More than a lot of the films we've seen so far. Um, Now, I don't know. This is one of the things with this ranking. I am taking this in that a lot of what the feelings I got from this was probably because of the fact that we are watching these back to back and these past ones are fresh in my mind. And because this is such a refreshing change of pace, it's probably affecting it a bit. Um, And that possibly if I was to go back and watch this film in isolation, I would not feel the same way, but for the sake of this ranking, I, I have to do it this way. Like I can't, I can't go and think. Well, if I'd have watched this film, then I might have liked this bit more. Right now, here and now, this is going from my fifth worst. It's going in at number two. Whoa, whoa! This is this is going in above. I would rather watch this film than the Spy Who Loved Me. Wow! Right now, I I just there were so many bits of this film I really enjoyed. I think we've kind of yeah, you, you touched on some of it already, but. Um, the Q scene. <laughs> I love the Q scene. It brings it brings a smile to my face. Um, I, I liked the whole chase scene with the strit- Citroen um, in the hills. Uh, I liked the um, the bobsleigh stuff. I liked all the sort of Olympic Park stuff, to be honest with you. Um, I, I've said enough, but I love the ending with the climbing. I, I quite liked the Bond girl, um, Melina. I didn't mind the villain. I didn't mind Locke. The song, as we said, is a bit of a bit of an earworm and it's growing on me. There's so many things that really worked for me for this film. 
And I, I just think that come down from Moonraker really works for me in this in this film. And I, I love how simple some parts of this film is. Um, and to me, Roger actually seems better in this one than he did in Moonraker. So, yeah, it's it's number two. I, I honestly, if you'd have told me, like, I can't, I would never have saw myself putting this above Spy Love Me. But there we are. That seems to you. I thought you were... I was like, okay, looking at your list, probably above Thunderball, probably above Moonraker, but I didn't see above Spy Who Loved Me. I think the thing that really cemented that for me is that when I think of the Spy Who Loved Me now, unfortunately, I'm just thinking about that tanker scene. <laughs> Bloody and tanker I, and, scene. And I don't want to watch that. Yeah. I would much rather watch this climbing bit as a, as a finale. So, yeah, I'm I'm so like, you could I couldn't tell you how happy I was coming away from this, really enjoying it. And then being able to say, right, I was clearly wrong, and like I will, I will hold my hands up and be, and say that this is this is really good to me. It's great. Yeah, the, the what you said about how like the context of this film is just so hugely important. Where I can totally see what you're getting the come down from Moonraker and the bit of a reset, but there's still like a budget there. And I think you're right, Roger really has kind of settled into the role, and I think they've found a really nice version of bond being a bit aged here that is something i really love about this film but for me i see this film more as you know when like a band starts off really good with like the first two albums and then they Mm. go a bit experimental for albums three and four and then album five they try and do album one again (laughs) and it's always worse and a bit more lifeless because like they're just trying to replicate something that they just can't do anymore this is that film to me or like that's that's what this is it's a band trying to do something they did before with a higher budget but they just can't create the spark and because they can't create the spark it it's either average or bad and all it does is remind you how much time has passed and and they just yeah yeah they just don't have that anymore and it it makes me think like i'd rather them just do experimental stuff like keep trying to find new things don't try and recreate something you had because you're not going to do it as well and that's what i got from this well, you won't have to wait long. I don't, I don't think, anyway. Um, what does that mean? Goodness. Well, I, I mean, I, I can't, I can't remember the details of Octopussy, but it's definitely not like this film. <laughs> I, I, okay, but, but uh, I'm very worried about Octopussy next week because me too. For our, for your eyes only on paper, I can get behind the ideas, and us talking about it has made me warm to it a little bit more and made me think I'm being too harsh. But my experience overall was not positive, which is why it's low. Uh, but Octopussy does not sound like on paper it'd be good. And it's longer than this film. And Roger is only getting older. And so, like, uh, no. And the song I know is bad. I can see that train coming on the on the tracks. Mm-hmm. I just can't jump out the way soon enough. It's coming. It, I have a sense of impending doom <laughs> with Octopussy. Yeah. But I, I can't avoid it. It's like I can't jump out of the way. No, I think if anything is going to take Diamonds Are Forever as bottom for me, considering how much I didn't like this film and how it's the same team on a film that most people would say is much worse. (laughs) If any film takes that trophy from Diamonds Are Forever, it's this next film. That's going to be a fun one, isn't it? Nope. (laughs) Nope. I will say, though, I will say, just to end off, one other thing I'm really pleased about how I've suddenly liked this film is... I spotted on the Bond store, at the web store. Uh, there's lots of, they have they have tons of merch, and it's usually kind of 
a bit rubbish because they just plaster the 007 logo on things and then charge a bomb for it. They do have one of their things. And the thing I love most about Bond merchandise is when it's something from the film. Like it, it could be a prop. Hmm. Like that's why I kind of want to get the Bulldog from Skyfall. Um, oh, I've got that. You've got that. Well, yes, I've got yeah, the I Spectre love... version, the one that's a bit The broken destroyed. one. Yeah. I, I they like were, that Sorry, sort of they, they were setting it at the 60th anniversary event. Are you kidding me? No, me me, and I... my brother went there and we bought t-shirts and they were setting it. But it was like the No Time to Die version. Oh, I even went to those things and I bought a a, a program. Damn it. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's the sort of stuff I love. And on the merch store, they have the Dove pin. Oh, so, that's and cool. I, yeah. And it's and, and before I would have been like, I don't want that. I don't want that. It's rubbish. Now I'm all over that. I'm going to be on there after this recording. <laughs> R.I.P. Luigi. Yeah, I'll think of him every day. <laughs> we knew so little about you, <laughs> but I think it's worth reiterating before we wrap this up. We just watched a film. You ranked it as your second best. I ranked it as my second worst. I know. Like, what's up with that? Great. I love that though. I love that we are getting these different opinions. Our lists are just. As soon as we can get from Russia with love out of our number ones, or one of us does it, our lists are just going to look so bizarrely different to each other. Yeah, Tommy, you have terrible taste. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, maybe it is. I don't know. At least Moonraker's not in my top five. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. No, I am serious. I do. I am liking how our lists are separating. It's just way more interesting to have this sort of diverging opinion rather than just going, yep, I agree, yep, yep, yep. Oh, I agree. With this, not the list. I agree with not... You know what I mean. You agree that my list is right. <laughs> yeah. I agree our lists are different, and one of them is right. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up. We've got a lot of mental prepare to do. We're going to go to that monastery and pray. <laughs> I'm going to go see Q. Yeah. Help me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> For <all the> <laughs> Oh, sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> oh. So, any last uh, thoughts? Any last words before we go? I'm heading on to the Bond merch store right now. Get that done. I'm getting it done. Very nice. Okay. So, thank you very much for listening. You have been listening to episode 12 of the Bond Revisited podcast. The Bond Revisited podcast will return next week for Octopussy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>